everyone wants to learn from the rich. Huh? Everybody wants to believe that, oh, if I learn from the rich, then I will become rich. And I get it, right? It's a very alluring. They look like they're living a good life and blah, blah, blah. I'm not shitting on the rich. But what I want you to think about it is, do you have millions of dollars? Are you born into a mansion? Do you have a childhood where whatever you want to do, you can do and the resources are just there? The reality is you don't. So all these second generation wealthy people or a lot of people that you know call themselves like self-made or huge ass success when you go and look at their background right they come from middle upper class right the family has a very stable financial situation and all that jazz so there are a lot of backstories that are not being put forth when the rich talk about their success and their ideas and their tips So I can safely say a lot of these advice do not work for us. They do not take into context of the mass. But on the other side of the spectrum, there's a bunch of people that have very, very limited resources and they are surviving or at least they are doing their very best to survive and thrive. And yet, we always call them lazy. We believe that they have no wisdom. But if you think about it, if someone can survive with that amount of resources, that limited, there must be some wisdom we can pick up from this group. It is lazy to write them off as lazy. Welcome back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good morning, everyone. I welcome you to another day with the financial coconut. In our podcast, debunking financial myths, discovering best financial practices and discussing financial strategies that fits our unique life. You get it. Ultimately, empowering us to create a life we love while managing our finances well. My name is Reggie, aka your chief financial coconut. And today, I want to talk a little bit about this bunch of people that a lot of us you know, believe that they have no wisdom. A lot of us don't think about learning from these guys. And that is the poor. And I want to begin by saying that I'm not romanticizing that situation. I'm not saying that, oh, you know, a small have small beauty, you know, those kind of rubbish. No. But the very fact is, given that this bunch of people live in such a constrained resource environment, and yet they survive and continue to make progress in whatever little ways that they can, or even just surviving with that limited amount of resources, there are definitely some interesting ideas that we can pick up from and integrate into our lives. And uh, trust me, a lot of these ideas that, that I'm going to share with you are very readily integratable. Like You can actually adopt and use these things and potentially build yourself further. And I know some people will be like, ah, you want me to become poor? You want me to learn from the poor and become poor? I'm like, oh my goodness, relax guys, okay? The reality is the mainstream media and also a lot of other forces have come together to coalesce around, you know, smearing the poor, putting them in a certain light, putting them in a certain image. Let, let me just uh, give you a little bit of example, right? If you don't yet know, okay, in, in the mainstream media, there's usually only two kinds of narrative for the poor. One is they're lazy, they're not doing anything. The other is, you know, oh my God, they work so hard, they blood, sweat, tears, and they try their very best, send their kids to school. It's only these two narratives. Right? Everything in between doesn't really matter. Everything in between doesn't really exist. And there's a lot of negative narrative that's being 
put on the poor like oh they're going to exploit our social system if we expand you know more social support like we're going to make free healthcare free education all these poor people going to exploit it and you know so, <laughs> so to me it's like it's just joke lah right to to expect the poor people if the poor people can exploit any resources in the first place they wouldn't be poor my goodness which kampung you come from Right? It is the wealthy people that are exploiting the system. They are very smart to kind of find the loopholes of these things and compound their money, try to find different different spots to pull resources in. Like, you expect the poor to... to what, what, how, how bad can the poor... <laughs> oh my god. How horrible can the poor be? How much resources can they exploit? It is a joke. It is funny. Right? Just think about it. Just think about it. Huh? What, how, what can the poor do to you? Ask for money, law. Right, that's a that's a that's probably the worst. What's the worst? Maybe they try to do armed robbery and all that. But Singapore as a system has made it very very difficult for them to do that. The penalty is even worse. Whereas the people that are wealthy have a lot of resources. There are a lot of strategies for them to exploit directly and indirectly affecting you. Them frying up property prices gonna affect you. Them slushing their money elsewhere to avoid tax gonna affect you. And you know them being your bosses, whatever they think, how they cut, how they arrange wages are gonna affect you. So if you think about it, is the rich people more powerful to exploit the system and play around with these things? Or are the poor people really that able to exploit welfare systems? Funny, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just food for thought for all of you to think about it. I'm not saying the rich people are evil, neither am I saying the poor people are like saints. No, it is just smashing some of this narrative that maybe in your head that's been funneled through mainstream media for a while to come to a common understanding that, hey, not all poor people are the same. There are a lot of other poor people that are, you know, not the, oh, very pity, work very hard, try to send their kids out, or like very lazy, do nothing, every day just collect welfare. No. <laughs> I come from a family that I think it's uh, not the most well-to-do, maybe middle, low, and I have extended family that struggle, right? That means... I have uncles and aunties that work for like thousands of dollars a day. You know, not, not a day. A day, they will not be struggling. Thousands of dollars a month. So that's a monthly wage for a very, very long time. And by no means do I think they're lazy. They work two jobs, three jobs, you know, so that they can get the extra to support my cousins, my relatives, uh, so that, yeah, I can go for a little bit of tuition, uh, buy a little bit of stuff, uh, so that they can invest in their kids in the future and all that, right? So there's a lot of all these um, things that are not being shown in, in media. Of course, uh, times have changed. We have come to a better position, right? We have uh, wage support, we have progressive wage. All these are great stuff. I support them, right? But the reality is a lot of people still think the poor are lazy and you know not doing anything which in my worldview is different because maybe you don't come from that kampong but I do come from that kampong and I've seen a lot of how to me they are the most hardworking people how many people can work two to three jobs and still try to take care of the family and you know organize weekly events and, and all that right so, so it, it gives me a very different view of the poor and for clarity's sake, when I say the poor, I'm saying people that are like working for like what, thousands of dollars. I think there was some report, I cannot remember exactly what is the report in Singapore that was saying like, oh, you know, thousands of dollars is the minimum requirement to live in Singapore. And I think a lot of the internet went crazy. It was like, thousands of how to live? Exactly. These are a lot of the people in this space. Live on this, right? All your progressive wage, your, your you know, silver support scheme, your wage models, they, they are all supporting these kind of people. You can just go and look at how much they're going to match, right? Their take home is going to be, what, 1,008, 2,000, 2,002, right? And they're going to feed a bunch of family. 
Right, so to me, those are the poor. Okay, I'm not talking about the entrepreneurs like myself that's trying to like make it big, right? And then we we slog for like cheap wages or no wages to try to build our future and all that. No, I'm just talking about the people that are income poor, they're just working very hard and not getting much. And to me, there are a lot of lessons that you can learn from them. And this brings me to point number one, and that is the power of the slums. To be exact, Singapore don't have slums, you know, or at least not visibly. You don't see it, right? You don't see the whole like uh, house next to a house, like like back to back, build, 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 you know, and then like this whole they congregate around the mountains. No, you don't see that, right? But there, there are a lot of. Uh, rental housing around that feels kind of like a slum, right? Which which is just like the state builds one room, one room, two rooms, two rooms for all of them and then they just kind of put everybody in and Topayo, I think Bendeme and some old stuff. Um, where I stay in Tampines, there are also some rental flats. So a lot of these spaces are, are pseudo slums. But barring aside that idea, what is the power of the slum? If you think about it, okay, just in a traditional sense of how you imagine slums from the movies, huh, or at least from some of your travels to what people call third world countries, the power of the slum is instead of building four walls, you only need to build two walls. You build two, I build two, the next person built two, the next person built two, and then we have our quarters covered. Everybody built two walls next to each other. Voila! We now have shelter. We now have protection from the weather. Voila. The ingenuity of the poor. Very amazing, right? They don't have enough money to build four walls. Oh, never mind. You build two, I build two. But what is one of the biggest caveats? The biggest caveat is everybody must build together. You build two, I build two. Everybody must build two. Right? It cannot be like, oh, nobody built. I mean, some guy were to build four. Lah. But it's only that one guy. Right, everyone can chip in to build the extra two walls for them. But that's the idea. The power of the slum is collective, coming together. And there are a lot of microcosm of activity within the slums, micro-lending, right? Today, I lend you $50, right? And then because you're struggling, oh, next, next, a uh, few months later, I have a little bit of an issue. Can you lend me $300? And all these are informal credit. And these are the bunch of people that come together to survive and, and they try to shop together um, so the power of the collective, the power of the slums is very, very underappreciated. Think about it. Instead of building four walls, now you build two. And then some people will say, oh, but slum are very problematic. Uh. You know, they dirty the place, they got a lot of drug activity within it, and what, what, what. Then my question is, to whom is this a problem? Every time someone says something is a problem, you have to ask them, to whom is this a problem? Is it the city governor that's trying to promote? Is it the property developer that's trying to, you know, build nicer housing? And in Singapore, there are such situations, okay? Some of the private housing, I think Coven or some area, there was a, pre- was a dispute previously, and uh, not just once, quite a few times, uh, when they're trying to build dormitories, right? So dormitories are like modern-day slums in, in Singapore, right? Um, and the, the community, the local environment, they, they petition against it. Right, they don't want the dormitories to be there because to them it affects property prices. So in that view, if you think the dormitory is a slum, then yeah, to the landlords that are next to it, that own the property, that wants to make sure their property value is there, that is a problem. But to the people that live in a slum, this is an ingenious solution that they have come together to create. Instead of building four walls, let's build two. So then what is the lesson here? The lesson here is collective strength. 
collective strength is something that we have forgotten altogether. And actually, in recent times, there is a bunch of people that are showing this thing now. You know, you're slowly seeing it. And that's called the group buy. I don't know if you guys have done it. I have not done group buys, but I'm very annoyed by the group buy people because they always jump queue. Right? Every time I go to this particular place that I really like, and then they'll be like, oh, all these are group buy people buy already. <laughs> and they come in a group, right? They they get delivered straight to someone near their place, right? Because that's most most of how group buys are done in Singapore. And they have a cheaper, maybe sometimes it's cheaper because you buy in bigger quantity. And the seller gives you extra promo. Oh, this one is special for you, this composition, just for you guys. Power group buy the power collective. Because when you come together, you have a stronger power. With this stronger power, you can negotiate with the seller. And that is the thing that I think a lot of us have forgotten. It's like out of our psyche already. The collective strength, the power of the slums. There is also another phenomenon not so long ago that uh, also shows the power of the collective and that is the grab driver in former union. I call them a union. Have you seen some of their videos? Do you remember a period of time when the government wanted to remove e-scooters? from the street because they were getting so many letters and you know so much public pressure to try to to do it right and someone at the top just believed that oh yeah let's just ban all e-scooters and what happened now you still see e-scooters they are more regulated they're more controlled but they're there they're not they're not banned at all and have you heard anything about it no but but if you go and search grab driver meet the people okay meet the people session right yeah (laughs) there were hundreds of grab drivers that gathered at a few meet the people session and they were just like throwing, you know, their anger and rage at the member of parliament. It's like, how can you do this? How is it going to affect our lives? And this is group power, collective bargaining. So yeah, I hope you start to think of yourself as a collective and stop just thinking of yourself as an individual. Sometimes you want to be more individualistic, right? There are certain things about yourself that is only for you, not for everyone, you know, but if you can come together as a collective, there's so many good things that can happen out of it. Group buys, you know, collective bargaining with trade unions, you know, which I don't really know what our trade unions are doing. But yeah, if, if we, we can do something about that, or even just us, you know, as a coconut, you know, coconut collective, we can, I don't know, negotiate for better property agent rates or we can negotiate something, right? So internally, we can come together and build something. And if you guys, any one of you want to champion something, Right, uh, please let us know. Right, we can we can always discuss and think of some some projects that we can do together. However, the community can support each other, right? And and that's the power of the collective, the power of the slums. Right, something that I really feel a lot of us should think about and pick up. Which brings me to point number two, and that is. Make full use of public facilities. Uh. Like it or not, the public facilities there and Singapore's public facilities is very nice. I mean, I'm living in KL. You know, that's one of the things that I dislike about Kuala Lumpur and I will share more with you after a word from our sponsor. When you think of meeting your friends, what is the first thing you think of? Oh, let's go cafe, right? Go cafe hopping or what else? What else do we do? Uh, go bowling, la, play pool. La. You know, that there's always this activity that you will need to pay. Right and I get it. Right, it's it's a uh, it's into our psyche. It is part of our national narrative. Everybody think like eating is the only pastime possible. But now that the borders are open, you start to see the other thing that a lot of Singaporeans do, which is travel. Right, you got money, you travel further. No money, go Johor. Right, just just move around so that you get more experiences, which is great because honestly, I don't think people are supposed to live and trap on an island that is so dense with so many people. Right, so go out there, do your thing, well and beautiful. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But have we forgotten the use of public spaces? What about Bishan Park? What about Jurong West Lake? What about Sambawang Spring? What about Tampines Hub? If you think about it, a lot of these development like Tampines Hub, like Heartbeat at Bedok, uh, what else? And North Shore Plaza in Pongo, they have a lot of public seats, you know. They have seats around, they have, yeah, although they have merchants, right? They have merchants, they have private incentives. But because the development is not headed by something like a Capital Land or CDL or someone that has a profit motive, the walkway is bigger, there are more, you know, open spaces, there are a lot of like free seats that you can sit around. Hey, why aren't we using those things? And that is something that I want to drive into our heads, right? If you spend your time in places that are profit-driven, okay, like a cafe, like a mall, then inevitably they have to pack a lot of people inside and they have to turn over the table. Let's just take cafe and malls, okay, these two things. Uh, Singaporeans spend a lot of time there, right? So let's just take cafe. I'm sure the very popular ones, right, they'll put this thing at the, on the table, say, oh, uh, limited to one hour, now this got 45 minutes on. They need to turn the tables because the rent here is crazy. And if they don't turn the tables, they cannot make enough. So after 45 minutes, you got to go or you got to order extra. Some people don't even let you order extra. They, they force you to go. This is a requirement because they have a profit motive. And if you look at the malls, you ask yourself, why are the mall always so populated? And it, when so many people, the mall still do more promotion, la, more activity, organise things at the foyer, try to pull more people in, blah, blah, blah. Why? Because they are profit-driven. They need to bring people in. They need to bring a crowd in so that they can substantiate the kind of rent that they are charging their merchants. And this is the fundamentals of capitalism. It's not uh, this person evil, that person evil. No, it is just the parameters of the game. But when you go to all these other places that have no profit motive like Bishan Park, okay, let me put it to you this way, right? If Capital M were to run Bishan Park, right, you will start to see push cards around. <laughs> you know, every corner will have a push card. It's like, oh yeah, sir, want to buy cotton candies. <laughs> because they need to monetize. But the reality is because this is part of end parks, it's like all the public facilities, your beach, your parks, they've done a great job in cleaning them up and making it free for you to use. So why aren't we using it? Right? Brew your own tea. I mean, you go to the cafe, right? A tea bag, they just dump it into the hot water and then nah, they serve you $8, $7, Pearl of the Orient. <laughs> why not brew your own tea, bring it to all these public places which are very beautiful and very comfortable and just hang out there, right? Jurong Lake, okay? If you tell me, don't have, I give you an idea. Jurong Lake, Tampines Hub, uh, what is the other? East Coast Park is beautiful. Everybody knows that. Uh, yeah, just just try this with Sambawang, you know, North Shore Plaza and Pongo. So some of these places are, are great and beautiful and and the poor are amazing at using public facilities, not because, you know, they like mesmerize and they want to go minimalist, just because they have no options, they have no choice, right? They don't have, they cannot afford to go to the cafe, they cannot afford to, you know, uh, go into the malls, or, I mean, the mall, they don't charge entrance fee, but, you know, you feel inferior when you cannot buy and all that, right? And, th and that's a different problem altogether, right? But they make use of public spaces on Sunday, if you go to Fort Canning, right, all your domestic workers are there. 
Right, they, they have they have colonized the whole volcano because volcano is beautiful and they have found that it's beautiful. They hang out there, great, good on them. Right? And you see all these uncles, aunties, they downstairs play chess, they gather around Chinatown, they sit there, right? One dollar to get to Chinatown, your senior citizen, uh, when you senior citizen hopefully got concession. Okay, one dollar go to Chinatown, play chess with your friend, drink a few kopi, right? And after that then go back home. Right? Because they don't have a lot of resources, they they they, they have limits on what they have. They are great proponents of public facilities. They use it inside out. And I think more of us should use it. Right? So, if you can use more of these, you will learn to appreciate that in a non-profit space, there's less pressure. Right? Because they are not trying to turn the tables, they are not trying to force a lot of people in. So, low density, you can spare as much time as you want, nobody's going to chase you. And maybe other than the other people that want to use the place, then they keep circulating you. Right? When I'm at Bishan Park, I feel that, what the, uh, this person like sit very long already. Huh? When are they moving away? <laughs> <laughs> but the idea is there, right? Non-profit, you have a lot of uh, more, more capacity, more time, more space to do it. And yeah, you can then allocate your money to do something else, right? Because uh, like it or not, we are, you know, the middle income, a middle high, some of you listening in. And yeah, you still have to make choices. You are not part of the ruling class where you have endless amount of resources. You can do everything. And if you can kind of cut back on some of these spending that you have always done intuitively because you didn't know there are other options, now that you know there are other options, hey, why not try something else? Allocate the money something somewhere else. I'm sure you have other things you want to spend on. Which brings me to point number three, and that is to learn all the basic skills of life. Things like cooking, la, sewing, la, fixing things. La. Amazing. Okay, I have a good friend of mine, and uh, she also doesn't come from a very well-to-do family. And sometimes when I go to her place, which is where her uncles live, right? Oh my god, the... The, like, you know they no, there's no Ikea things you know it's just like wooden planks that are being like screwed together and it's like everything on their own you know and they find all sorts of scraps to make it work and to me that's amazing they're not going to call a contractor in a it's not lao zui I mean there's leakage uh, what to do they go to the DIY shop fix it on their own right <laughs> so, hey light bulb spoil uh. Uh, can you kind of fix like what the hell people cannot even fix light bulbs these days right and and if you think about it if you can't do all these things so what if you have a lot of money and you want to shift abroad it's, it's going to be very hard right if you can learn to cook you learn to sew learn to fix things small little things here and there you're going to be so much stronger in terms of your survivor right you can you can do so much more of course once again the poor they don't have the resources to call a contractor you know to always eat out that's why they learn all these things and if you talk to them right wow they have some of the best food they have some of the best things because uh, they are maestros you know they, they because they cannot go to the restaurant and every day you cook you think you will not become better of course you become better every day you do something you become better right so I'm sure you've been to one of those friends' house where they're not the most prosperous, but hey, the food is amazing. The ama can cook, the auntie can cook, and you wonder why. Uh, there's no secret. The secret, the, the secret here is they keep doing every day and they think about it, right? To, and so, do you think are they are lazy? They're not. They are performing and thriving in whatever limited situation that they have, and so this is something that I feel more of us should do, right? Learn to cook, learn to sew, learn to fix things. And there's an organization that is going around that I think it's pretty interesting. It's called Engineering Good, right? They organize different activities to teach you how to fix little things, how to solder, how to screw, you know, and all that. And, and I think we should do more of that, right? We should bring back the engineering spirit, we should bring back the fixing, the builder uh, mentality that we used to have. You know, there was a period of time long gone <laughs> in the 80s and the 90s where Singapore was a hub for engineering. We were building a lot of things, 
right? But today, no lah. If you go to Tuas, you take the MRT to Tuas, which you can. You take the MRT to Tuas, there's nothing. All warehouses. There's no activity. You don't see a lot of like vibrancy there, right? So I hope more of us can do this. And and that's not to say that oh, after you learn all these life skills or these little life skills of life, then um, you no longer outsource, you no longer look for contractors. Hey, if the problem is very big, right, look for the contractor, of course. Uh, if you are very busy, right, look for the contractor, of course. But if you can, okay, if you learn all these things, in my view, right, I feel like I'm more survivable. Like I can survive. Right? When I know all these things, I feel less afraid of the world. Because I know how to do these things. It's just that I got no time, so I outsource to someone else. Right, and these are some basic things, not some high-level corporate monetization ideas that I hope you know more of us can do to build your confidence to live. And yeah, these are some lessons from the poor, essentially. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And with that, I'm going to sum up the three lessons from the poor. The poor do all these things. And, you know, it's not about mesmerizing their life, but recognizing that within the limited resources that they have, these are some interesting ideas that we can pick up. Number one is the power of the slum, essentially the power of the collective. Think about it. Instead of building four walls, now you build two. Everybody build two and we can come together and build a quality of life that given our resources may not even achieve previously, right? So things like group buy, trade unions, collective bargaining all these are very powerful and I hope that we can rethink about them and come together as a collective once again and drop the whole individual idea you know because as much as you want to believe that you're Superman the reality is those things don't exist okay number two is make full use of public facilities a lot of us when we think of hang out with friends we go cafe la, go to the malls la. these days there's a bit of hiking which is great good stuff cycling is also a thing good stuff alright but if you can make use of uh, public facilities more it, you realise that hey in public facilities there's no excessive commercialization nobody's always trying to make you spend money and nobody's really trying to chase you you have more space you can do more things and yeah you actually save a lot of money so that you can then channel this money into other things that you want to purchase because i am a firm believer that you have a lot of things you want to purchase and that uh, yeah you have limited resources to achieve them all which brings me to point number three and that is to learn all the basic skills of life things like cooking sewing fixing things if you can do these things it's not saying that you have to do them all the time but to recognize that hey, with these skills, I can survive better. And if I then need to hire someone else to do it, okay, I can I can let them do it because I'm very busy. This period of time, I'm very occupied. But if I can do it, why not? It adds to the joy of life. And to me, it has helped me feel more confident as an individual that, hey, whatever you throw me around, I can live through this. With that, I hope you learned something useful today. See ya! Hey, I hope you learned something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconut. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debated and discussed. Join our community telegram group. Reach out to us on Instagram, TikTok, you know, whatever. Email me. 
and like, share, subscribe. Very important. Like, share, subscribe. You know, if you love this episode, I know you may be listening on the go in your car. Hey, please share this on your socials. It will help us a lot. We're trying to grow the network, trying to grow the community, and your effort, your little effort of like, share, subscribe is going to bring us to the next level. So I want you to do that. Thank you, and I see you next week. Okay, so I hope you uh, find this episode interesting. I thought everybody wants to talk about how wealthy this person is, what do they do, blah, blah, blah. Nobody really wants to look at the other side. Um, yeah, so I thought I, I put it out there because there are a lot of interesting lessons that you can learn from everybody. It's not, it's not just the rich or the poor. And I hope at the same time to dispel, you know, some of these ideas that have been built around the narrative of the poor, you know, that they're lazy, you know, they will exploit the system if you give them more and blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the reality is most of the people that are doing well these days have exploited the system in some way or another. That's why they can climb up. Okay, so, so please, please, please. The poor, as much as with everyone else, is just trying to maximize their quality of life and maximize their self-interest. And um, yeah, they're not out to harm you. Don't, don't be so afraid of them. And to me, like, what is the worst that they can do to you? They rob you. They, you know, try to pickpocket you. And that, that's and most of the time, those guys are organized crime. Okay, just saying, right? They're, they're not like casual poor people. Most of them, the poor people just, they just bang. Okay, and uh, they just try to do whatever that they can to survive. Right? So yeah, not romanticizing the poor, neither am I saying that it is okay to do any sort of robbery and burglary and pickpocketing, all this kind of stuff, but I just want us to think about the poor in a different way. At the same time, you know, recognize that, hey, there's some wisdom here with very, very little resources. How do they live their life? Maybe try some of these things, right? Let me know. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about how do you play and thrive in a high inflation environment. Right? It's very interesting because everybody is talking about inflation, 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 but they're only talking about the charts. They're not translating to how you and I should live you know, if inflation persists. Alright, so I'm going to share with you some of my thoughts around this thing. And yeah, they, they're all governed on some very core principles of finance. And I will see you next week, how to thrive in high inflation environment. Take care.